So I'm super excited to be preaching this morning. And originally, Craig said, oh, you're going to be preaching on Daniel 4 or 5 or whatever. And then the steering committee group were like, no, 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 we need to slow down. So Craig then said to me, well, then you need to pick your own sermon because I don't know where I'm going to get to. And I was like, yo, okay, thanks, thanks for that. But when Craig was preaching on unpacking Nebuchadnezzar's dream, so he was preaching on unpacking Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and you will recall that there was this rock, not cut by human hands, and the rock smashed the whole pillar, broke it into pieces, and then the rock grew to fill the whole world. And I was thinking about that, and that was the now and the not yet kingdom, right? That the kingdom, as they thought when Jesus came, was going to be this dramatic moment when the present age ended, and then God's kingdom would come. Except we know that that's not actually how it works, that it's now and not yet. So, the now and the not yet, overlapping. And it got me thinking about how we are waiting and waiting and waiting for the kingdom to come. And then I was thinking about Daniel and how Daniel had to wait 70 years. Like, that's nearly double my life. Not quite, but nearly double my life. That he had to wait in captivity to see God fulfill his promise to Israel to return them to Jerusalem. And then that got me thinking about, actually, how long Israel had to wait for God to fulfill his promises to them, the promises that he made to Abraham. So, strictly speaking, I'm not speaking about Daniel today. Um, we're going to step out just for a moment. But, but that's where it's coming from. It's coming from that vision of the rock smashing the, the, the pillar, the statue, and then growing to fill the whole world, this, this now and not yet kingdom of God. So let's take a little whistle-stop tour through the Old Testament, and apologies to those of you who are good biblical scholars, because I'm probably going to make a whole bunch of mistakes, those are my mistakes, but let's take a whistle-stop tour through. So if we go back to the beginning of Israel's history, God makes these promises to Abraham. He calls Abraham, Abraham is in Chaldea, calls him, and makes a whole bunch of promises, and the promises that he makes, land, he's going to give him some land, and he's going to make him the father of nations, plural. And he's going to bless him and all his descendants, which in those days meant wealth and power and, you know, all the good stuff, long life. And then through him was going to bless all nations. That's a pretty big deal, right? Lots of promises. Now, when God makes these promises, it's a covenant. And there are always two sides to the covenant. You do this and I'll do that. I'm not going to focus on what Abraham had to do. I'm only focusing on the promises that God makes to these people. So those are the promises that he makes. Now we fast forward to Genesis 25. And in Genesis 25, that's when Abraham dies. At that point, only one of those promises had been fulfilled. Only one, which was that God would bless Abraham. Abraham became very wealthy. He lived a long life, had lots of children, but only that one was fulfilled. The promise of land, well, God said to him at the time that he was to leave his home, leave his people, follow God, and he would dwell in the land that God had promised to give to him, but it wouldn't be his. God tells Abraham that actually his people are going to go off to Egypt, they're going to be enslaved, and only 400 years later will they come back, and actually only at that time 
would God fulfill the promise of land. Only at that time would they be able to claim that land as their own. So Abraham already knows that it's going to take more than 400 years before the people get that promise fulfilled, the land. In terms of the descendants, well, we know that he had eight sons. Ishmael was the first, Isaac was the second, and then he went on to have six more. We have no idea how many daughters he had because, of course, Scripture doesn't necessarily record the daughters. But eight children is not a tribe. It's not a city, it's not a nation, and it's certainly not multiple nations, right? So at this point, Abraham is only the father of eight. So that promise of, you know, all father of nations, not fulfilled. As I said, blessings, he got lots of them. But then blessing all nations through him, that was only fulfilled when Jesus came, which is a heck of a long time after Abraham. So it's a long time of waiting. So we have Abraham, who has Isaac, who has Jacob, who has Joseph. And off they go to, because of the famine, off they go to Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they become enslaved. And they're enslaved because the Pharaoh at the time was really worried that the Hebrews, as they were called then, would stage a coup, because there were so many of them, and would take over his throne. And so he enslaves them. And then there's 430 years between that time and when Moses arrives on the scene. Now, biblical scholars, you will know. When you read different accounts of the story in different places in the Old Testament, sometimes they talk about 430 years, sometimes they talk about 400, sometimes they only talk about 215. And it might seem like the Bible's got it wrong, there's a whole bunch of errors here. No, it's about when you count it from. So, it's 400 years from when God calls, 430 years, sorry, from when God calls Abraham. 400 years from when Isaac is born. 215 years from when Jacob, whose name is also Israel, enters Egypt. So, it's, it's different starting points, but it's basically 430 years from the time that God gives the promise to Abraham until Moses arrives and they, they're released from Egypt. And they return to Canaan, almost return to Canaan. And, and then get that promise fulfilled. It's a long time to wait. Now, the younger you are, the longer a year is in your life, right? Percentage-wise. When you are two, one is 50% of your lifetime. Feels like forever. You know as you grow up how fast the year seems to fly. But 430 years is still a hang of a long time to wait. It's a long time. So Moses comes along and... At that point, the people get excited because this is the moment. This is when God's going to do it. He's going to fulfill his promises. We're going to get the land. The kingdom's going to come. This is awesome. Look at all these miracles that God's been doing. This is the moment. Or is it? So this is a map, as you can see, of the route that the Israelites take when they are freed from Egypt. Now, the direct route, okay, let's see if I can get this pointer to work. The direct route from there to there or from there to there takes 11 days. 11 days, people. So what happened? Did they get lost? 
No, the story is that God's initial plan was not to lead them on the direct route. The reason being, he didn't want them to get into battle with the people who were living along that direct route so soon after being released from captivity. Remember, they'd been living in captivity for at least 200 years. That's a mentality that you build up of enslavement. The moment you come into any kind of conflict situation, any kind of difficulty, any kind of hardship, you're going to go straight back to that mentality. God doesn't want that for them. So he decides he's going to lead them on a less direct route. But even so, the route that God had planned for them should only have taken them a month. So after a month, they arrive, hello pointer, they arrive kind of here-ish somewhere. And they send out the spies. And the spies come back with a report. And the report, 10 out of the 12 spies who go, the report is not good. But in that month, I'll come back to that point in a moment, in that month that they've been traveling, they have experienced some hardships as well. There's no food, there's no water. Nothing to yourself. You have just experienced a whole bunch of plagues and you've seen God deliver you miraculously. You've seen God pass over your house and the firstborn survive. But for the Egyptians, all of their firstborn die. You've seen miracles. This is the God of miracles. This is the God who promised 430 years he would deliver you and 430 years he's delivered you. Surely, surely, people, you would be able to trust that God could provide you with food and water, right? No. No sooner have they been released, literally two minutes later, they're all complaining and grumbling. God, there's no food, there's no water. You've led us out here to die. So what does God do? He provides them with manna. Amazing stuff, right? So I'm on the special diet because I have diabetes. So I have what's called medical food, specially formulated by doctors to have the correct balance of proteins and carbohydrates. Medical manna was medical food. All the proteins, vitamins, minerals, nutrients that you need, right? And amazingly, it doesn't go off over Saturday onto Sunday because, on oh no, Friday to Saturday, because it's Sabbath and you're not supposed to be doing any work on Sabbath. Amazing food stuff. Water from a rock. If that wasn't amazing enough. A pillar of fire at night because the desert gets flipping cold. So there's your light and your heat. A pillar of cloud during the day. Why? To guide you and for shade from the desert sun. Now you travel for a month under those conditions. You would think, surely, people, surely, that you could trust God by this stage, right? No, apparently not. God gives Moses a very similar covenant to the one that he gives to Abraham. That this people, Israel, named after Jacob, who is named Israel, that they would be God's special possession. That they would be a kingdom of priests and that they would be a holy nation. Because God intends to use them to bless the whole world. Here we start to see that last promise, the blessings for all nations. This is the promise that God has given to Moses for these people. So Joshua and Caleb and the other ten, they head out. 
they are now going to go and spy out this land that God has promised to give them. And up to this point, God has been faithful, 430 years, 430 years, and now they're there. God has been faithful to them on the journey. He's provided food and water and shelter and heat and light and done it all for them. And the spies come back. Ten of them are hysterical about the giants in the land. There's no ways, people, that we can take this in. There's no ways that we can fight them. There's no ways that we can occupy. It's not going to happen. We should go back to Egypt. It's better being a slave than being here. Only Joshua and Caleb say, no, 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 people. Look, look what God has done. Look how far God has brought us. God can do this. And because of that disobedience of the other ten and the Israelites, God makes a judgment call. A month in, God makes a judgment call and he says, you know what? Stuff it. You're not going in. With the result, <clears throat> excuse me, with the result that the Israelites spend the next 40 years, 40 years, 40 years! Those of you who are over 40, you know how long 40 years is. They spend the next 40 years wandering around in the desert, eating manna. Now, I've been on this special diet, right? I've only been on this special diet for about a month now. Thank you. Let's just check it's working. It is. So I've only been on this special diet about a month. And can I tell you? Don't show me a lettuce leaf. Don't show me broccoli. Don't show me spinach leaves. And this shake that I have to eat. I am so bored. 40 years of eating manna. Think of your favorite meal. Now think of eating that favorite meal, not just every night this week, or this month, or this year, but for 40 years. It's a long time to wait. It's a long time. And every adult over the age of 20 who was in that population at that time, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, died. Because God said to them, your faithlessness, your inability to wait well for me to do what I can do, means that this is the consequence for you. I'm still going to fulfill my promise. Israel is still going to take Canaan. Israel is still going to occupy the land that I promised to Abraham. Israel is still going to be a light to the nations. It's still going to be my treasured possession. But the individuals will not take occupancy of Canaan. They will not. So time and again, we see that the Israelites are faithless. They lack trust in God. And there are serious consequences for their actions. Cue David. So, in they go. In they go. It takes them seven years to occupy Canaan, to take over and, and for God to give them that land. And then they are led by a series of judges through that period of time. And the judges speak God's voice to them. But we see through that time, again and again and again, that they fail to follow God. They grumble, they complain, they start following foreign gods, they start worshipping idols, and then God calls them back, and they repent, and they decide, we're going to be this treasured possession, we're going to be this kingdom of priests, and then it all falls apart again, and then God calls them back again, 
it's this like continuous process. And eventually the Israelites say, you know what, if we had a king, everything would be better. Right? That would make the difference for us. And so there's Saul. Yes, Saul. And then there's David. And David, so it's about 400, 450 years from the time that they leave Egypt until David comes in as king. 430 years to Egypt, 450 years approximately until David becomes king. Roughly 900 years. It's a long time, right? We still haven't seen all of Abraham's, all of the promises given to Abraham fulfilled yet. So David comes to power. He's a man after God's heart. God loves him. He loves God. It's all really great. And so God gives him this covenant that he's going to destroy David's enemies, that he's going to make David's name great, that he's going to give Israel, see, here's the land thing again, that he's going to give Israel Canaan as a permanent home. And that the everlasting kingdom he's, he's planning is going to come from David's line. That's a really, really significant promise. Now, there's a whole lot of covenant stuff that has to happen. David has to do a whole bunch of stuff, which he doesn't. And so the people of God at this point are going, is this the time? Is this when God's going to do the thing? And so David plans to build a temple for God, and Solomon finishes it. But the people are thinking, is this it? Is this when things are going to finally be good for us forever? Is this it? 900 years from the time of Abraham's promise. Spoiler alert, it's not. So David dies. And because of David's sin during his life and a whole bunch of things that happen, including the story with Bathsheba, God says to David that because of his love for David, he will keep that last promise that the everlasting kingdom will come from his line. But he is going to strip the rest from David and his family. Not in his lifetime, but in Solomon's time. And so at David's death, the nation of Israel splits into two, two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. And Ostensibly, it's because Solomon wants to impose a taxation law which the people disagree with and they think doesn't need to happen. But actually, what it's about is the fact that Solomon starts following foreign gods. He starts worshipping foreign gods because he has this massive harem and the women who are in his harem are from foreign nations, foreign peoples, and they bring their gods in and he starts worshipping their gods. As a result significant consequences for the kingdom of Israel. The whole nation is split apart. It dissolves. And then it, we see in, in Scripture a period, again, of about 400 years in which there is constant strife and battle between the northern and the southern kingdoms, as well as with their neighbors. And this is the period in which the prophets come in. And so God sends prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to speak to both the northern and southern kingdoms and say, you've lost the plot, people. I'm the one you're supposed to be worshiping. Get your stuff straight. Worship me. Repent. 
follow me and I can fix things for you. But if you don't, there will be consequences. And of course, they don't. And so there are consequences. And the consequence is Daniel and the Babylonian exile. So here we are now at the point where our sermon series is. 430 years from the time that God promised Abraham to make him a father of nations and to bless all the nations through him. A further 40 years wandering in the desert because of their sin. A further 400 years of God trying to lead them without them having a significant king or hierarchical structure in that sense. And them following other gods and then repenting and coming back. Another 400 years from the time that God gives them this king who is a man after his own heart. In which they still refuse to wait well for God to do what he can do. And they just keep sinning and following foreign gods. And then 70 years in Babylon, in captivity, the consequences of their failure to wait on God to do what only God can do. What comes after Daniel, once they actually go back to Jerusalem, is that although they might be living in Israel, in the land of Canaan, the promised land, unfortunately, they live as a subjugated nation. Initially under the Mede-Persian Empire, then under the Greek Empire, and finally under the Roman Empire. Interestingly, quick aside, the Greek Empire was divided up into various provinces. Guess which province had control over Israel? Egypt. I think that must have been a bit of a mind, I would say a word, but I won't. Because they escaped from Egypt, they were re rescued from Egypt, they were freed from Egypt, and now they're back under Egypt's rule. I think that's, we could spend some time there, but we won't. So another 500 years under somebody else's rule. Why? A consequence of failing to wait on God to fulfill his promises. Instead of waiting on him, they have followed other gods and done things they should not have done. Now there's a lesson here. There's a reason I'm, I'm talking about this. Because we are waiting on God for the not yet to become the now. Yes, God's kingdom has come. We are under his rule. The rock is busy growing. But we are waiting, and it's been 2,000 years, right? We've been waiting for 2,000 years for God to finally make the not yet the now. And we are just like the Israelites. We are not above them. We cannot look down on them and go, oh, those Israelites, yes, couldn't they? Why didn't they? Look at all the stuff God had done for them, and yet we are just as bad as they are. Not one of us is without sin. So there must be some lessons that we can learn from how they failed to wait well that will help us as we continue to wait on God to do what only God can do. This is my, my heart's cry. 
How long, O oh Lord? How long must we wait? I am so tired of the sin in my own life. As Paul says, the good I want to do, I do not do. The evil that I do not want to do, this I do. That's the story of my life. I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of the suffering. My physical body that is failing me, I'm tired of it. I'm you may have noticed I sit in a funny chair at the back because I fell off a horse and fractured my spine and now I can't sit on these plastic chairs. I'm tired of the suffering. I'm tired of things not going the way that they should be going. But I'm also tired of the evil in the world. I'm tired of gender-based violence. I'm tired of corruption. I'm tired of the pollution that we've caused that is damaging our creation. I'm tired of people just being selfish and stuck up and egotistical. I'm just tired of it all. How long, oh Lord, must we wait for you to do what only you can do and to make the not yet the now? When we look at Abraham or Moses or Joshua or David or the prophets, and when we compare those individuals to the history of Israel, we can see that faithful followers have a massive impact. Massive impact. Israel is still waiting for God to fulfill what they think his promises were. They have tried to forcibly take hold of what they believe is their divine right. I'm not going to get political on you, but I'm, all, I'm, I'm going to say that the problem for them is that because of what they did over those hundreds of years, when it got to David, God stripped those promises from them. And they are forcibly now trying to take hold of it. They are struggling against the divine mandate, not in cooperation with it. And ultimately, they are doomed to failure. They did not wait well for God. When we look at the history of the church, we have also not waited well. The Crusades, the Inquisition, anti-Semitism. There's lots that we've done as the church global. But we have had moments where God has called us back and we have been faithful to return. The Reformation, various revivals. There is such an, a revival going on right now in Iran. Such a revival going on. Look at what's happening in China. We do listen and we do return, but we need to learn how to wait well. Are we there yet? Not yet. Hey, are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Yes. Really? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No, we are not. Are we there yet? No. no. Are we there, are we yet? there yet? Parents? Car journeys? Yeah, yeah, we've been there, right? We know this, this sense of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? What we have to remember when we struggle with that, oh, Lord, how long, is that we're looking at it from an individual perspective. And we need to look bigger. You are not just a person on your own. You are part of something bigger. You are part of the church local. You are part of the church global. 
And when you look at it from that perspective, things look very different. Alongside us, we are also part of creation. And creation itself, we are told, groans in anticipation of God's redemption. Not just for us as people in relationship with him, but for the whole of creation. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. So I've listed just a few sins. I could have listed a whole bunch more, but those are the obvious ones that come out of this history of Israel, right? They were faithless, idolatrous, disobedient, defiant, fearful, rebellious. And coming from that, there are, I'm sure there are a host more, but there are three ways in which I think they have failed to wait well. Impatience. We get so impatient, we take things into our own hands and we try to be our own savior. We try to force the matter. Abraham was promised that he would be a father of nations, but did not have children until his old age. What must that have been like? God's promised me I'm going to be the father of nations. I don't have any kids. Okay, I'll take Hagar's slave and I'll have a child with her. Welcome, Ishmael. Abraham tried at that point to be his own savior, to force the promise of God through his own means, because he was impatient. Just a question. How many of the issues that we see at the moment at both tribal and national level in the Middle East and elsewhere are as a result of that one sin? Because Ishmael being born would have broken relationship between Abraham and his wife, between his wife and her slave, between Ishmael and Isaac. What about the rest of the family? Just that one sin broke a whole lot of relationships. And how much of the strife and the heartache that we see now has come out of that one sin? Distraction. Distraction is when we miss what God is doing because we're focused on other things. So the Israelites in the, in the desert, Moses is up the mountain, he's communing with God, he's getting the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. What are the people doing at the bottom of the hill? They are so distracted. They're not focused on what's happening up there. They're focused on what's happening down here. And they get so freaked out that they gather all their gold and they make themselves an idol to worship because they need a security blanket. And instead of focusing on what God is doing, they focused on, we've got no food, we've got no water, who's going to lead us? Is Moses ever going to come down the mountain again? We're all alone. God doesn't love us. And so they get completely distracted. And the result of that, 40 years of wandering in the desert. Denial. Denial is where we think we're following God, but when there is a move of God, when the Spirit starts doing something new, we go, oh, no, 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 hold on, hold on. That doesn't fit my box. That's not how God works. The person leading that is completely unqualified. That can't be of God. Uh -uh, no. And you walk away. 
So I want to give you a New Testament example, just to mix it up. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they had all the scriptures. They were versed in all the scriptures. They knew those passages off by heart. And yet when Jesus comes with his wisdom, with the miracles that he's doing, when he fulfills all of the Old Testament prophecies about him, what do they say? No, 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 no. This cannot be the move of God because we are expecting God to come in like a war general to remove the Roman oppression. And besides, you're just a carpenter from Bethlehem and, you know, who do you think you are? And Israel as a nation missed the moment when the kingdom of God came because they denied it. So now I want to point something out to you. God gives Abraham a whole bunch of promises. He repeats them with Moses. He repeats them with David, and they get more specific each time. God's plan was always for Jesus to come. The fact that the Pharisees missed it, the fact that the Israelites missed it, doesn't stop God's plans. The fact that they were faithless, idolatrous, rebellious, disobedient, doesn't stop God's plans. It just means that for those individuals, they have missed out. There are significant consequences. The adults over 20 all died before they could enter the land of Canaan, before the nation could enter the land of Canaan. They never took hold of the promises of God. They missed out. Not Israel as a whole. When we wait badly, it doesn't stop God doing what God can do doesn't put a spanner in the works for him. It puts a spanner in the works for us. We are the ones who miss out. We are the ones for whom there are some really nasty side effects. Which brings us to the question then, if waiting badly is so dangerous for us, how do we wait well? What does this look like? If we look at Abraham, yes, he sinned. Yes, he was impatient. Yes, he tried to be his own savior. But when we read the account of Abraham and the testimony that is given about Abraham, Abraham was a man who trusted God. That is what it says. He was God's friend. That's how God describes him, because he trusted in God. And we need to trust. John 15, Jesus also calls us his friends, just like he called Abraham his friend. But what comes immediately before that? It's the story about the branches and the vine. You need to abide in God. You need to be the branch grafted into the vine to be called the friend of God. You need to trust God. If we look at Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, they were the two who testified to the whole Israelite nation that the land is good and God is good and, and let's go for it. Testimony is so vital, so important. And it's not just individual testimonies. The Bible is the testimony. We need to be in the testimony. We need to be reading the testimony that God has already given us, the revelation that he's already given us, and claim those promises and those stories for ourselves. But yes, we also need to testify in life groups, in church, and out there. And bear in mind... This is not just an individual, it's a corporate. As a corporate, 
PBC stands in Pinelands as a testimony to the world that there is hope, there is abundant life, there can be redemption, healing. That is what we, as a local church, are standing in testimony about to the world. We need to intercede. So, when you read through Exodus, the number of times that Moses intercedes for the people and God says, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the planet. And Moses goes, no, Lord, no, 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 don't do that. Because if you do that, the Egyptians are going to laugh at us. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to say that you're impotent. And God goes, hmm, okay, I'll just kill these ones and we'll let the rest go through. But the number of times that Moses intercedes for the people and God hears that intercession and changes his mind on what he's going to do. The number of times that he has mercy towards Israel because of Moses' intercession for the people. We need to intercede. Not just for each other. We've already got God. We need to intercede for the world. Colleague at work. Friend in your class. Neighbor next door. Unsaved family members. But also corporately, we need to intercede for the world. And that's partly what we're doing through the, the Muslim ministry and through Alpha. And that's what you need to intercede, people, that God's kingdom would come. Don't be your own savior. It's really not worth it. David, he's been anointed, but Saul is still king. There's a moment where Saul is out looking for him, fighting battles, but mainly looking for David because he wants to kill David. And he goes into a cave to go and relieve himself, and da David is hiding with his men at the back of the cave. And he goes forward, and his men are saying, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him, get rid of him. And he cuts off a corner of Saul's cloak, and then he retreats. Why? Because he doesn't want to be his own savior. He merely wants to po point out to Saul, I could have killed you. You were in my hand and I chose not to. Why? Because it is God who is going to install me as king. Not me. I'm not going to make it happen. Yes, God has given me the promise that I'm going to be the king after you. I've been anointed. But I am not going to step forward into that and claim it for myself and do it in my own power. I'm waiting for God to do it for me. Don't be your own savior. God can do it. He's big enough, right? Speak the words. Can you imagine being Daniel, faced with Nebuchadnezzar's dream, right? Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You need to find out what the dream is, and then you need to tell me what it is. And you're like, okay, God can do this. And then God gives you the message, and the message is, you're going to be wiped off the face of the earth, and your kingdom is going to be destroyed. Yeah, sure. I'm going to go stand before the king and go, oh, king. Um, God says that, you know, your kingdom's going to be destroyed. Sorry, cheers, I'm out of here. But Daniel doesn't shirk back from that. He doesn't shirk back from what God has given him to speak. He speaks it anyway. Later in Daniel, there's another situation, another dream, and Daniel interprets it again. Still later in Daniel, there's the writing on the wall where Again, Daniel has to interpret. And every single time Daniel has to speak to the king about the dream or the writing on the wall or whatever, it's bad news for the king. Really bad news for the king. 
And yet, Daniel speaks truth to power. Why? Because God has given him those words to speak. Speak the words that God has given you. Whether that's telling a colleague or a friend who doesn't believe, just saying to them, you've been on my heart and I've been praying for you and I just feel God wants you to know that you're loved. And then step away. Because it's not your job to determine what those people do with the words that you speak. That's between them and God. Your responsibility is just to speak the words that God gives you. God will do the thing because God is big enough to do the thing. But you just have to step in and speak the words that he has given you to speak. And then very importantly, don't be in denial. Welcome the move of the Spirit. Another New Testament example for you. So Peter, Peter's a really good Jew. Keeps kosher, doesn't associate with Gentiles because he's a good Jew. And he's up praying on the roof and God gives him a vision of non-kosher food. And the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, what? <laughs> God, sorry, sorry, what? No, 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 you don't understand, it's not kosher. Why? Because God was preparing his heart for him to engage with Gentiles so that the original promise that Abraham would be used to bless all nations, not just the Jews, could come to fruition. It would have been so easy for Peter to go, not doing this, sorry God, like this can't be you, nowhere in scripture, anywhere in scripture have you welcomed Gentiles in this way, this is not going to happen, not on my watch. It would have been so easy. And yet Peter was faithful to a new move of God, moving in a new way. A few of you may remember, a few weeks back, I stood up here and I spoke about a word that I believe God has given me as I was driving back into Cape Town, driving into a wall of rain. And God spoke to me and said, that wall of rain is my blessing. That's my spirit falling on Cape Town and on Pinelands, and I'm doing a new thing in Cape Town and in Pinelands. And this morning as we were praying uh, before the service, I was feeling really, really nervous and kind of going, oh God, I don't know if I've heard you right. Is this really the message you want me to be bringing? And the heavens opened and the rain poured down and God said, do you remember that? I was like, yes, Lord, I remember that. He goes, well, it's not up to you. It's me. I'm doing the new thing, not you. You just need to speak the words because it's my thing and I'm doing it and I'm God. And I was like, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is working in Cape Town, people. He is working in Pinelands. He is doing a new thing. Are you going to wait well and join in with him? Or are you going to wait badly? The kingdom might not come fully in your lifetime. In fact, it might not come fully for another 2,000 years. That's the reality. Nobody knows the day or the time when God is going to fulfill all the promises that he gave to Abraham however many hundreds of years ago, one and a half thousand years ago, three and a half thousand years ago, whatever. Nobody knows. But you have a choice, and the choice is to wait well, to do these things. Doing these things participates in the rock growing and filling the whole earth. So my challenge to you, are you being impatient? 
and trying to force the promises of God yourself? Are you distracted? Or are you in denial? Because if you are any of those three things, the consequences is not going to be good for you. It doesn't stop God from doing whatever he's doing right now. He is still going to do whatever he's doing. But if you want to participate in that, you need to wait well.